everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. I'm really excited today because we, well, first off, I can't believe that anybody in this world is actually inbounding us to come on to our podcast. So our guest today, David Charles, who's the CEO and co-founder of Mood, he has a PR team and somebody from their PR team reached out to us to have David come onto the show, which, you know, first off, like I said, I can't believe anybody would want to come onto our show, but we're happy that they do. And anyway, in the in the email, um, they were talking about how David's company Mood is on track to doing a hundred million dollars in revenue this year with no outside investors. It's a hemp derived THC company that makes products tailored to your mood. Started doing research on David and the product, and it all just sounds super cool. So, of course, I wrote back and we scheduled um, David right away. And so, David, it's so great to meet you. I'm sorry we hadn't met before, and thank you for being here today. I can't wait to dig into your story. Yeah, thank you for having me, Carson. It's a pleasure to meet you. And now, David, you where are you calling in from today? I am in Oklahoma City. Uh, which is Mood's physical nexus, where we have our distribution center, which now has about 85 folks and growing every week. 85 people in Oklahoma City and growing every week. Well, there's so much to talk about. And also, we haven't had any hemp-derived THC companies on before. It's been primarily focused on THC. And I know that this is a category that's exploding. So it's actually perfect that you're coming on. But um, let's, before we get into everything, cause there's a lot to talk about today, let's back up and let's learn, I, David, I would just love to learn a little bit about your background prior to co-founding and being the CEO of Mood. Sure. So, um, most of my career I've been in productized e-commerce, um, selling everything from pet supplements to human pheromones to kitchen gadgets and everything in between. Um, and then I ventured into tech. I got into telehealth and health tech, and I saw some really interesting opportunities in those spaces. And um, I really like tech culture as well in terms of ways of working, uh, tenants such as radical responsibility that you see really emerging in a lot of tech culture. Um, but then a previous co-founder of mine, and I, he, he and I were catching up, and he said, hey, I've been working in cannabis up in Canada where it's legal, and I think there's a tremendous opportunity to uh, set up a proper e-commerce company with uh, legal hemp-derived cannabinoids in the United States. And I said, ah, you're, you know, you're crazy. This stuff's at every gas station, every vape shop. There's nothing here. Um, and he said, no, let's let's really look at this because the stuff that people are selling in vape shops and gas stations, it's terrible. The quality is terrible. Um, the, the convenience factor is, is awful because, well, sure, if you want to go to a vape shop, you can get it. It's convenient. But for a lot of people, they like ordering things online and there just is no good solution. Um, or there was no good solution. Uh, so that's that's fundamentally what we've set out to do is is build a, a proper e-commerce experience for buying these products online. What so uh, your your co-founder who is in Canada? What year did he come to you with this idea, which at the time you you seemed to think was crazy? This was in April of twenty two. And we went live. Oh my God! So this is like brand new. Oh yeah, yeah. We we just launched to the to, we we launched our, our website to the public in August of 22. So right now we are 14 months and 16 days old. So for people listening to this, it, they launched in August 2022, and this year in 2023, you're on pace to do 100 million dollars in revenue. I mean, that's pretty unbelievable. How how have you? I mean, clearly you have product market fit. So can you talk to us a little bit about the launch and what 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 happened over the last? you know, almost slightly more than a year? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've always been impatient um, to my detriment and, and sometimes to my benefit. Um, but it's really just been um, it's been a marathon at sprint pace the entire time. Um, and there's been so much that has gone wrong and, and so much that we've been able to learn from. Um, but we just keep pushing. And, um, you know, the launch process, like, you know, the earliest turbulence was um, – signed a warehouse lease. Uh, well, we identified that we're not going to 3PL these goods. We want to maintain quality. And in order to do that, we need our own people installed in order to do things like process flour. Um, you know, flour comes in and just, you know, as a, as a, as a tangent, um, flour comes in and, and it looks good, but we want it to look amazing. So our people then go over what the trimmers have already done and, and they make it as good as possible. Um, flour in its, in its ultimate form, which, you know, costs time, costs time, it costs money. We end up, you know, discarding product that, you know, we otherwise would have sold, but essentially we, we wanted the product to be paramount. Um, so set up a warehouse, um, signed a warehouse lease in Austin where I was living at the time. Um, and then I think it was three or four days later, I was, I was up at one or two, just reading a bunch of cannabis industry stuff. And I saw that the state of Texas, um, 24 hours prior had just passed uh, legislation that banned the processing of industrial hemp in the state of Texas. You could still sell it, smoke it, possess it, um, but you could no longer take a pound of it and break it down into ace. So <laughs> that was the first hurdle. And, uh, you know, that was on a Friday night. By Monday morning, I was in Oklahoma City and signing a new warehouse space. So it's it's been a, it's been a series of many of those. So I think some people just might be a little bit confused about hemp derived THC Delta nine in general. Could you explain it to somebody that literally might not know anything? Absolutely. Uh, So in 2018, the farm bill uh, passed and in the farm bill, what they did is delineate between hemp and marijuana. And they said, okay, all of this stuff is cannabis L sativa. But marijuana is going to have a Delta 9 THC concentration of greater than 0.3% by dry weight. And if it doesn't, then it's hemp and it's lawful. It's federally legal, uh, no, no restrictions around um, interstate commerce, um, no restrictions federally around banking. Um, and thus, the, the legal hemp industry was, was uh, greatly propelled. Um, so the products that we sell... Uh, all meet these legal requirements. Um, and then the next question everyone says is, okay, but does it get me high? Um, am I actually going to feel anything from it? And the answer is yes. Here's one example. Um, when people say THC, what they actually mean is Delta 9 THC. It's an isomer of THC that's, that's uh, abundant in the marijuana plant, uh, the marijuana variant of cannabis. Um, but if you read the, the letter of the law, it, it deals with dry weight. So, for example, um, the hemp plant still does grow THC. It still produces THC. You can extract that Delta-9 THC and put it into a gummy. Um, so if you take a 5.5-gram gummy, which is your standard size cannabis gummy, it's a little square, you can, on, on, a, on, a, on a dry weight basis, you can put 15 milligrams of Delta-9 THC into that 5.5-gram gummy, and it ends up being 0.27% of Delta-9 THC by dry weight. Now, if you're brand new to cannabis, you might say, well, 15 milligrams, that doesn't sound like much. But no, it is. Um, your, your average user is, is going to be uh, very affected by 15 milligrams of THC. Um, and we have similar, um, similar legal ways through in our other product categories as well. And for people that are not, that you know, 
are, if you're on your phone or in front of your computer, you should go to hellomood.co and you can shop all of the various products that you have, which I want to talk about a little bit, but I'm on the website right now. You have smokable flour, edibles, vape, pre-rolls, concentrates. So, um, David, what, out of all these products that you've launched, which by the way, it's incredibly impressive how quickly you've gotten this business up with all these products right now, what are you seeing as the best selling product or category? Sure. I'd say it's, it's fundamentally split between gummies and flowers. Uh, we find that our customers, they, they like to eat, uh, eat THC or they like to smoke it. Um, and it's very interesting. We've done a lot of customer research and we have relatively thorough understandings of uh, why somebody would prefer a gummy over a flower or vice versa or concentrate. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's quite remarkable, um, but it's one of these things that I think cannabis really transcends ages, it transcends cultures, generations. Um, so we found that by offering really high quality versions of each category, uh, we can appeal to that whole cross section of, of America. I have so many questions that I'm writing down as I'm, as I'm listening to you talk, but I think the next place that I want to go is this podcast is called the proud to work in cannabis podcast. And we're, we really focus on work and employees and teams. And I saw a great post that you did on your LinkedIn where, where Forbes wrote an article about projecting a hundred million hemp startup mood. Um, you know, it's just all about you guys. And you, you retweeted it on your LinkedIn and you said only possible with our incredible team. I would, I, I, I would love to learn a little bit more about the type of team that you've built. And so you and your co-founder launched this. How have you thought about scaling the team over the last 12 months to, to go from, you know, zero to a hundred in, in, in like eight, 18 months? I think that's a lot of entrepreneurs really aspire to this level of scale. And so I'm curious, you know, what teams did you focus on building first? What positions were the most key? And walk us through a little bit about how you've gone about building the team over this first year, because clearly that the team is 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 very strong. Thank you. Yeah, we uh, it's it's truly not a platitude. We are incredibly proud and lucky to be working with the people that uh, that have chosen to work with us. And in the early days, it was you could kind of break down the the company into okay, you have your products and you have your inventory. You have, your, you have your advertising, you have your marketing, customer support, operations, and distribution. Um, and in the early days, um, it was um, Jake, my co-founder, on all the advertising and marketing, um, and uh, and and me on setting up distribution, operations, customer support, and what have you, dealing with a lot of inventory and product sourcing. Um, but the first external hire we really had to make was um, a warehouse manager. Um and in, in, in our, in our, in our, in our talent pool in, in Oklahoma City, we found, uh, Linda Roadcap and Linda came from Burris and Cargill and she'd previously set up and, uh, optimized and scaled, you know, massive distribution facilities for, uh, you know, these big 3PLs that deal with enterprise brands. Um, and that was an incredible stroke of luck. Um, truly, Linda is as missionary as they come. Um, she is incredibly smart, incredibly hardworking. Um, and that's that's really that sort of um, that sort of impetus to to find a, a really smart missionary has really been what's driven um, the philosophy of, of of scale amongst our team. Uh, we want people that are passionate about the mission, um, much to the name of of this podcast. We want people who are proud to work in cannabis. Um, they want to latch onto something, make it theirs. Uh, high caliber people that really give a shit. Um, that's who we want. That's who we are, and that's who we want to attract. 
Um, towards that end, uh, my time working in the tech industry um, really imbued in me uh, uh, some great practices around hiring, um, sourcing, hiring, onboarding, training, measuring success, um, how to set realistic but aggressive goals for our team. These are all things that are part of our culture now. Um, so it's that's uh, that's that's kind of the start of it. And then over the uh, over the last uh, eighteen months, uh, we've grown our team is is right now. I think it's around one sixty five, one seventy. Um, and within the next four to six weeks, um, we will be around two hundred. Well, you definitely have to talk to banks because we help our customers find employees, whether they're full time or hourly gig to hire. So we should definitely talk offline um, about you know you would be a dream client because. We, we really like to help candidates, especially, you know, I, I like the hourly folks of this industry, which is the majority of the industry, play such a huge piece. And so helping hourly folks go into companies where they can really truly feel like they're part of the team and grow from within is such an awesome opportunity for so many people. I mean, we talk to people who got placed in an entry-level warehouse job and then within five years, they could be running an entire warehouse and at the pace that you're growing to be able to talk to somebody who... Maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't go to college, but they are a super hard worker, and they're super smart, and they're super passionate about the industry, and they want to join a company and work hard and have the chance to work their way up. It's like I, I heard about someone the other day that he he started as a trimmer. Again, he he didn't go to college, but he started as a trimmer, and now he said that he's a director of cultivation, and he's making more than everybody in his family who actually went to college. And he's like, I just worked harder than everybody. I got their first. I was the first person to show up in the morning. I was the last one there. I worked my way up every single position. And now I'm running like three huge cultivation facilities. And like that's possible because of the companies in the cannabis industry. And it sounds like there's massive opportunities for people to join your company. Yeah, absolutely. And there truly is. I mean, I didn't go to college. My co-founder didn't go to college. Our CTO dropped out of college. I love it. Yeah. Our CFO has a degree. Um, that's, that's good. It's helpful on a numbers guy. At least a lot more than that. Um, but to your point around, I don't even know what I was doing at college. I mean, I, I was starting my first company, a student travel company, and I was using the other students as my customers. You know what I mean? I think that's what I got out of out of uh, out of college. But yeah, look, I think it's for some people, but it's it's super cool to hear that someone like you that, that didn't go to college is able to build one hundred million dollar business, and it should be inspiring to other people. What do you, where do you think you get your entrepreneur drive from? Uh, probably my father. Um, my father, um, he, he was right out of, he, he went to college and right out of college, he, uh, drove nuclear submarines for the Navy. And then he went into industrial engineering and manufacturing. And then in his forties, he said, you know what? I've always wanted to be a small business owner. If I don't do it now, it's never going to happen. Uh, so he bought a chocolate factory in Maine and we moved to Maine and, uh, it was a, a small handcrafted candies, lots of pride, amazing, amazing quality ingredients, all the rest of it. And I grew up with that. Um, and, I, and I grew up with the notion that um, it is possible. I have this role model. Uh, it is possible to, to chart, chart your own course. Um, and uh, so I've, I've always been fascinated with entrepreneurship. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm very stubborn. And uh, you need that as an entrepreneur. That's, that's for sure. Uh, you know, they say an entrepreneur is the only person who's the only personality type who's, who's willing to work, uh, you know, 80 or 100 hours a week for themselves instead of working 40 for somebody else. And that's that's definitely me. And making, I think it's such, such a cool concept that, you know, like two summers ago at this time, you were not doing this and now look at it today. And so the sheer like 
set your mind and visualize something and then go for it and you don't let anyone or anything get in your way. It's like such a strong force that entrepreneurs are on a mission. I would never want to bet against them because there's really nothing stronger than putting your mind to something and not letting anyone or anything stop you. Absolutely. And there's, there's, there's a veritable graveyard of failed businesses in my wake um, learning experiences, you know, some some wins, some utter losses, some in betweens that weren't compelling enough to continue. But um, the, the through line is is tenacity, and I think any entrepreneur, aspiring entrepreneur, listening, really needs to plan on failing myriad times, and uh, you know, really, you know, getting getting kicked while they're down, and ev- everything life can throw at you, and you just have to keep going if you want to if you want to learn and, and progress. I love that. The tenacity, I, I totally agree, is, is one of the most important traits for entrepreneurs. Well, from from some of you just mentioned that you had some businesses that maybe didn't go exactly as the way that you planned. What are some of the lessons that you've learned in your previous businesses that you've now taken into your new business? Um, the, the through line is really going to be, it's going to sound funny, but sustainable growth. Um, not, not growing, not coming from the guide going from zero to a hundred yeah. million in, in 12 months. Yeah, no, I but, love it. Yeah. Um, if, if you can believe it, um, we could have grown a lot faster if we were willing to shortcut elements of our infrastructure, elements of our product quality, our customer support. Uh, we, we really could have grown a lot faster than this. Um, but in, in past businesses, I, I've seen, um, you know, when you push something so hard that the wheels fall off, the wheels that are going to fall off are going to primarily be around customer experience, uh, product quality, shipping speed, shipping accuracy, um, customer support. Um, you really, you just, you just have to, you have to give things um, time to be sustainable. And then towards that end, I think the largest force multiplier to increase your speed of scale or the, to increase the speed in which you're capable of scaling is really the quality of the team that's behind something. Um, if for example, say, say it's customer support. Um, if you have, you know, a B player who's running customer support, then yes, they can scale and they can improve the quality of the customer support. Um, but if you throw in the dimension of speed, um, they're not going to be able to keep up with, uh, the speed that say an A player could. So you really need A players that are bought into the mission in order to be able to scale your infrastructure fast. How did you, and I'm curious if this had anything to do with your previous companies, but I know that you haven't taken on any outside investment capital. How did you decide? Is that is that as a result of previous experiences, or talk to us about that? Uh, so I was an executive at a, a YC-backed telehealth company named Fella, uh, and for those uh, unaware, YC is pretty much the Harvard of tech incubators. More unicorns incubated than any other incubator. You know everything from Twitter to DoorDash to Twitch, etc. Um, Airbnb. Airbnb, yeah, tons. Um, and and I, I I went through it. I, I was I was the head of growth um, from seed through or sorry from angel through a successful seed. Um, I think they raised uh, three and a half at post of fifteen or sixteen, some somewhere around that magnitude. Um, and on one hand, it's like all right, cool, millions of dollars in the bank, we've nailed it, let's scale it. Um, on the other hand, I, I I saw just how much time that takes. It takes it's it's an it's an incredible amount of, of time and what can be distraction from running the business or growing the business, just ra- needing to raise money. And I've also, I've spoken with enough uh, venture-backed entrepreneurs to understand that um, you give up you give up necessarily a degree of control 
um, which can jeopardize the core values upon which the, you predicated the business in the first place. Um, you know, the, the grow at all costs, sometimes at the, at the cost of the customer, at the cost of the employees, um, being asked to do unrealistic, unrealistic things and unrealistic time, time frames. Um, so, you know, I, I respect venture capitalists. I don't want to have to work with a venture capitalist if I, if I can help it because I, I'm stubborn. I want to, <laughs> I want to follow my vision. Um, and not not sequoias. Yeah, and I, I I think that so many different people have had so many different kinds of experiences with VCs. Even people that we've had on our show, right? You you, you talk to some entrepreneurs who found the right partner who let them execute their vision and were supportive and helped make hires and helped make intros and things were great. And then you talk to others who felt like their vision got hijacked and they were suddenly working for a firm. So I, I totally hear you in in that. You know, if you don't have to, why do it? And it sounds like you don't really need to. I'm curious on your on your take just on the D9 space, right? I mean, how, what kind of, do you guys have a lot of competitors or talk to us about what the landscape is like out there? I, I feel like it's really kind of starting to explode. So I would love just your overall feedback on the space and the category. Absolutely. Um, I think fundamentally our, our two biggest competitors are going to be uh legal marijuana dispensaries and your neighborhood dope man. What's a neighborhood dope man? Would you say? <laughs> um, I'd say just the like neighborhood a straight up drug, just like a straight up guy you text and say, Hey, give me my product. And they just buy it from the illicit market. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. Um, I, I know. Yeah. I, I, I'm just clarifying. I, I figured. No, no, for sure. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, there's discomfort with both of those options or there's potential discomfort for millions of people as we're, as we're proving. Um, the, the marijuana dispensaries, uh, there's all kinds of problems. Sometimes, sometimes there's a lot of states where there is no easy access to a legal marijuana dispensary. Um, or if there is, then um, you need some kind of terminal condition in order to qualify for a card in the first place. There's red tape. Um, and then you, you go there and sometimes product quality is... Um, significantly lacking. Uh, sometimes the people who work there don't know what they're talking about, or they're just unfriendly. Like sometimes I've, I've been to dispensaries where you know you feel like you're the uh, like like the like the 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 nerdy kid in in a, in a middle school cafeteria where you know they're judging you for not knowing things, and you know there's like a real snobbiness and elitism. Obviously, some bed tenders are amazing, but I've I've seen stores where they're just dour. Um, and then on, on the other side of the coin, the illicit market, accessing the illicit market. Um, well, sure, if you're in your 20s or 30s or maybe even 40s, you probably have, you know, a second or third degree connection to somebody, um, but you don't know what they're giving you. Um, a lot of times those products are being, sometimes the products are coming from, you know, California, Colorado. Sometimes they're coming from Mexican cartels and they're spraying them with God knows what pesticides. There are no testing standards. There could be mold. They aren't going to, they're not going to be able to tell you much about the products. They're just going to make up a strain name and, and sell it to you. And then there's other people who, um, you know, maybe on, on the older side, and they don't know anybody, and uh, and and they just don't have access. Yeah, they don't know their neighborhood dope man because they're seventy. The neighborhood dope man. I mean, and also like, I I know that obviously the illicit market is thriving, and and most people do have their neighborhood dope guy. But like, it is pretty scary when you think about it. It's it's very surprising to me. Obviously, it's just price, but that I mean, there's people that I know, particularly people in like New York, 
you know, and they're like, why would I go to a legal dispensary when I can text this guy and have product delivered to my doorstep? What about just general, like in, in a place like New York, like a bodega or just convenience stores? I mean, is that, is that competitive to your business? I mean, there's, I, I go into these stores and there's, you know, Delta nine beverages. Totally. Totally. Um, we're, we're not, we're not going after those markets. We've tested in those markets. And by these markets, I mean, uh, hyper dense urban locales wherein there's ready access to marijuana, whether it's legal or illegal, uh, because most of those bodegas in New York, they're unlicensed. And there's been this whole, f- it, it is crazy. <laughs> they're starting to crack down on that. Um, but you know, violent crime is spiking so much in New York City that over the last, what, three, four years that they're, you know, the bodega that's selling some some weed without a license is, is just, it's not their primary concern, and rightfully right. so. Okay, what about um, as, you know, legislation in the cannabis space, let's assume um, cannabis goes from a schedule one drug to a schedule three drug and potentially something like safer comes through and, 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 and maybe in the future full-scale legalization how does that impact your category and in your mind you know what changes at at that moment sure so um for those unaware um being that marijuana is a schedule one drug um or schedule one substance um they pay taxes the same way that a heroin dealer pays taxes and that they cannot deduct any business expenses. So they are effectively being taxed at 80%. And when you have a business that's being taxed at 80%. Which folks, just for listening, this is 280E. We've had, you know, experts on 280E come in. And so if you haven't listened to some of the podcasts, you should go back and listen to um, Jeremy Burke and um, Bo Whitney's episode on Proud to Work in Cannabis, where we talk about how 280E negatively impacts businesses. But, you know, exactly what... David just said, um, you know, it's a big issue and David doesn't have to pay this tax, but David, keep going. I just wanted to, you know, pump those other episodes. Absolutely. Of course. Um, so I think over the last, oh, 15 or so years, you've seen a lot of money enter the cannabis space, um, in terms of investments. Um, and then you've seen a lot of money leave the space because everybody was betting that, you know, 15 years ago, everyone was, was betting that 280E would be uh, repealed or essentially no longer apply due to rescheduling of cannabis uh, or of marijuana a long time ago. And the market has lost patience. And they say these companies are bleeding money um, and there's no end in sight. So why wouldn't we deploy our capital towards NVIDIA, Google, Fangs, all, all the rest of it? Um, and I think you've already seen some resurgence of, of institutional interest in marijuana um, as as the last month has gone by, or last six weeks have gone by, and we've seen um, HHS re- re- recommending a rescheduling, and you've seen safer banking make significant headwinds. Um, so I think that's really what ends up happening. That's 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 the first step: is um, institutional money returns to the space, um, and then you're going to see um, a lot of saturation, a lot of competition. Um, a lot of big corporates coming in and undercutting smaller companies. Um, you're going to see more state-sanctioned uh, marijuana programs, um, and everything will get political. And my cynical take on it is that everything will become so hyper-regulated that the only players who can afford to exist will be big corporates, and you know marijuana will go that unfortunate direction. Um, 
but I hope that's not the case. I, I hope that um, I hope that mom and pops and cannabis purists will, will always have a, a market in which to participate. Um, but in terms of what it means for mood, um, we'll we'll see. I, I think that um, I think that we've got such a strong relative first mover advantage in e-commerce um, that we're really going to own this space. And once marijuana is uh, federally rescheduled and everybody sorts out interstate commerce. Um, transitioning to sell marijuana is on our radar. Well, look, we're, we're coming up on we're coming up on the last five minutes here. A couple more questions for you for the as you go as we get ready to go into 2024. What's in store for Mood, and what's going to be the focus coming out of this incredible growth year that you guys just had? Tons of scale. Um, next year, we plan to three x the business. Um, and, uh, it's going to be 300 million. Let's, let's see. Let's see. Yeah. Why, why, why not? Yeah. A lot, a lot more team building, uh, a lot of, you know, hundred hour work weeks and all the rest of it. Uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of some interesting product stuff, we've just launched THCA flower, um, which is, uh, it's a beautiful addition to our product line. Early feedback is tremendous. Um, so we're going to be scaling into THCA, working on our, our supply chain a lot more and ensuring continuity of supply, continuity of quality. Um, and then on the gummy side, um, for the last six months or so, we've been in R&D producing functional gummy skews that are really innovative. Um, those will be will be leaning will be uh, be launching those in Q4 of this year, probably in the next six weeks, eight weeks, um, and then leaning really heavy into functional gummies in 24 uh, functions, such as we have we have gummies coming out for uh, menopause symptom relief, uh, menstrual menstrual relief, testosterone boosting. Um, sexual euphoria, which is going to be a fantastic one because we sure think that cannabis makes sex a lot more fun and it'd be amazing to capture that lightning in the bottle of a gummy form. Wow. Wow. So you've got a lot going on on, on the product front too. Are you, do you happen to be going to MJ Biz in November? Uh, Katie, our director of strategic projects is. Oh, cool. We'll have to, we'll have to look out for her there. And um, if people want to get in touch with you, want to get in touch with the business, want to learn about job opportunities or, or just shop your products or just talk to somebody, what's the best way for them to get in touch with all of you guys? So um, anybody can check us out at hellomood.co. Um, and if they're interested in contacting us, uh, potentially about job opportunities or just keeping up with us, uh, our LinkedIn page is going to be uh, the best way of doing that. Awesome. David, well, thank you so much. I'm excited to have you on in a year. I, def- I just made a note of it. You have to come back on in a year so we can catch up on 2024. I can't wait to hear how it goes. And um, I'm hoping that we'll get the chance to work together and maybe banks can even help you find a couple people. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for having me on. And, and uh, I, I'll, I look forward to uh, our catch up and a year as well. Sounds great. Have a great day, David. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. 
I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canada podcasters right here on PodConnex and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.